0: You're listening to Bodies, the podcast, a discussion platform for voices of consciousness around issues of consciousness. Welcome to the first bonus episode of Bodies. I've decided to record bonus episodes when the material supports or relates to the main thrust of the Bodies podcast as a series, and this is one of those moments. This episode centers around something that I've been thinking about for the past three weeks or so in relation to my Facebook feed and how it's constituted. So, as you know, Facebook, you can unfollow people as opposed to... I don't really like defriending people, so I unfollow people that I don't really want to see. So, generally people getting engaged or married or having children. Um, But there is another criteria that I've been using for most of this year to clean up my Facebook wall, so to speak, and that is, if somebody posts an opinion that I find offensive or that illustrates a lack of wokeness of that individual, I generally unfollow them. This has been done with the intention of limiting the number of irritating engagements I have to have, or microaggressions and general abuse experienced on my Facebook wall. But recently I've been questioning whether this has been a good strategy for me, and here's why. By curating the opinions that I get on my Facebook wall, I was creating this fake world of like-minded individuals all supporting a certain narrative that I ascribe to. I now, purposefully, was not being exposed to microaggressions and irritations. Yay, the positive, right? But then at the same time, I was limiting my exposure to a greater narrative, to the other side of the political spectrum, or people with differing opinions and beliefs to me and my friends. Now, given that bodies is this platform for consciousness, you know, voices of consciousness around issues of consciousness, it kind of didn't sit well with me that I had insulated and isolated myself from, from, from different opinions, right? Even though it was safer and more tolerable, this isolation kind of limited the moments when I would have to defend my position, right? And kind of give my opinion. And then on the other side, limited the moments when I could educate somebody and by offering an alternative view to theirs, so, I then had dinner with a friend of mine, Michael Laws, and we kind of just organically started talking about this concern of mine. Being immensely clued up on media, information sharing and echo chambers, also, also probably being one of the smartest men I know, we decided to come home and to kind of take that very natural conversation and to put into a quick podcast. So, this is bonus edition one of Bodies with Michael Laws. I just need to put a quick, quick disclaimer. At times this podcast is going to seem immensely intellectual okay it's quite an intellectual podcast I don't want you to be scared from about that all right I'm going to take moments within the podcast to kind of pause reflect sum up so kind of listen through take as much as you can and then re-listen to it again okay it's such a wonderful podcast with such wonderful material and such great lessons I really want you to get the full benefit of it all right cool
1: enjoy Okay, Mikey. Royky, my boyky. What's up? Um, I mean, so we just had a really great natural conversation mm. um, outside of a restaurant, and I yeah. just thought we'd not capture it because the ideas were cool. Mm.
0: Very cool. especially around something that you're quite interested in, in, and that is echo chambers. Yeah,
1: so, um, I mean, just to get into the meat of the matter. And maybe explain
0: what echo chambers are, because I think it's not everyone's
1: face Okay, cool. So. Um, An echo chamber is this idea um, that's become quite popular in media theory that essentially is is the idea that because of social media now becoming the prime source of people's news and information. Mine definitely. And, yeah. and kind of political thought and ideas. Mm. Um, and when you mix that with the fact that on social media we tend to follow people we like, and mm. we tend to be friends with people that we are friends with in real life, mm. that um, it's probable that, like, you know, on a balance of probabilities, that the information that we're getting is kind of reflective of the pre-existing beliefs we already have. Mm. Um, there's been a really good anthropological study shown that, like, people are, become friends genuinely with people that share... P- similar political and social outlooks to them. Yeah. So in other words, conservative people tend to be friends with conservative people. Liberal Mm. people tend to be friends with liberal people. And that this kind of gets reinforced in an echo chamber by your friends sharing stuff, which coheres or really kind of entrenches what you believe. So liberal people are going to share liberal articles and content. Conservative people are going to share conservative articles and content.
0: Mm. And these reinforce our beliefs.
1: Yeah, this is the idea of echo chambers. So mm. um, echo chambers were like very much a buzzword in 2015. Mm. And um, I listened to this really great podcast at the end of 2015. And one, of, it was about echo chambers. And in the context of the podcast was, listen, you know, these echo chambers that we're creating are, you know, making us more insular and polarized as a society. Um, you know, what we should try and do is actively break our echo chambers by mm. following people that we disagree with. Yes. So they were like, you know, everyone go out there and break your echo chambers.
0: To introduce this diversity of thought.
1: And and to try and understand people better. Mm. So what I did is I went out and I followed a whole bunch of people that, like, I really disagree with. So some of them were people on, let's say, the traditional right. Mm. Um, and then there was particular voices in political governments that i really disagree with so like for example at the moment it was like hardcore zoomerites Mm. um which i'm not a fan of Mm. um so i was so on south african twitter for example I i decided to follow a whole bunch of people who are like da and to the right of da and then a whole bunch of people who are like on the EFF side and deep, deep EFF side. And then mm. like a whole bunch of people were like deep in the Zuma faction. I was like, let me get okay. a really mixed masala of flavors going on here. Mm. And um, I was just saying to Roy, the reason why this came up is because I recently decided that I was over breaking my echo chamber mm. and I had started to unfollow people. Why? Sure. Um, the long and the short of it is, on a completely immediate knee-jerk reaction, is that I was starting to dread opening up my Twitter. Right.
0: So your initial thought was, let me break my echo chamber, but then once broken, you're like, let me reconstitute because it's actually fucking irritating.
1: Well, more than that. It was like, I felt that it was damaging in a way that Mm. wasn't, it was emotionally uh, disruptive and destructive in a way that wasn't valuable. Now, let me get to what I mean by that exactly. So I think in kind of the the big break your antechamber chamber hype that there was last year I think there was this fantasy that like what would happen is that people that you you'd be following people that have different opinions to you and they'd be making these arguments and you'd find them really weird at first and mm. then you know you'd really think on them and like you know your mind would open and even if you didn't agree with them mm. you know you'd walk away like being slightly enriched by a wider perspective mm. and I think what became really obvious on like, Twitter uh, especially and then maybe some of the social media was like how little stuff that gets posted has actually got real substance to it. And I mean right. intellectual substance, rational substance. Like right. someone saying, here are reasonably objective facts and here's my interpretation of them mm. um, and this is done in good faith. Mm. They just seem to be so many people that were completely repulsed by the idea of of um, c- good facts, like of just like right. good faith argument, like being right. like I'm gonna look, I believe what I believe, but I'm open minded and I'm gonna make an effort to defend myself. Like so, the example I make to you, people who say God and make your, your echo chamber, they aren't already following, or they're not thinking about the Trump supporter who's mm. like. A, racist or Mm. like a raging Islamophobe Mm. who like is not ever going to proffer like a reasonable argument Mm. for their Islamophobia yeah Um, they're just gonna be fucking Islamophobes right but here's the thing despite this whole thing I think it was an unbelievably good process Mm. I would definitely do it again maybe I should do like a year on and a year off Mm. yeah it's this funny thing it's like it's like going to a really hardcore exercise class that you like stuff for a week yeah that was probably really good for me but like fuck that if I'm like I'm not doing that for like another month like that's kind of how I feel right now so
0: basically what you're saying just to translate is that you worked to break your echo chamber in order to get the opinions of the other side but instead of getting kind of well thought out reasoning you just got this blind
1: rhetoric of the other side that really adds no value yeah that adds no value but 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 here's the funny thing this is actually why the exercise was so useful mm. so what it made me aware of was the fact that like in my own life so much of the information. That I consume is rhetoric. So much of right. the information I consume is substanceless. Okay so basically
0: the same way that the other side was giving you kind of blind rhetoric on their side, you were getting blind rhetoric from your side that lacked an equal amount of substance.
1: I want to be real, I suppose certain pockets are going to have a greater concentration of bullshit in them than others. Like if you're right. a Nazi, like good luck right. trying to find a reasonable argument for that. Yes. But generally on the spectrum, um, I think what I realize is that we have a, l- we all have a lot of rhetoric, mm. and what happens is that because we have context on our side,
0: when we post personally,
1: when we post personally, or we yeah. or we have friends that post stuff that we understand that's yes. of a rhetoric nature. Yes. It doesn't. We don't even read it for rhetoric because we understand what it's referring to. We right. get the greater context um, that's going on.
0: Okay, so we need one of those reflection times that I spoke about. So, in a nutshell, what Mike is saying is that we all have echo chambers where we insulate and isolate the opinions that we get according to people that we like and agree with, okay? So what Mike decided to do was to break his echo chamber by liking a whole bunch of other people that he wouldn't necessarily like, uh, by following people whose opinions he doesn't necessarily agree with, all in the hopes of getting a more well-rounded and balanced um, access to, to, to opinions. What he found though was all these opinions that he was getting were just kind of emotional rhetoric, right? They, they had very little substance to their thoughts and this then allowed him the process of looking at his own wall, right? His own echo chamber and saying wow if the other side is just posting rhetoric then surely my side is just posting rhetoric. And this has really changed the way he looks at people and their beliefs and how they formulate their beliefs as we're going to hear right now, okay? We're popping back in with Mikey.
1: And so I think one, actually, the upside is that made me a lot more critical uh, of my own echo chamber. Mm. Like being like, wow, a lot of the stuff I am reading is like unsubstantiated or just like rando. Yeah. Um, The other thing is that, and this totally feeds into this, is like I think that a lot of political beliefs and political outlooks are actually at their root founded in narratives Mm. that are emotionally informed. And I think what's quite interesting yes. is that looking at the left and the right generally, you start to see um, underlying narratives that talk more to people's personalities on an emotional level. Mm. And then out of those emotional responses, people start to kind of post hoc create ideologies, right. create political belief structures. Mm. Um, so, like, I think one of the things, one of the two big things, I identify as a lefty, maybe a progressive lefty, maybe even mid to increasingly far left. I don't know. Mm. I think one of the things that I've noticed is like the big point of departure for me and people on the right, or even the center right, is a very different gut response about what human nature is. Okay. So like, it seems to me like conservatives are authentically and genuinely more risk averse in general.
0: As individuals. As
1: individuals. And more willing to ascribe... um, a, like very direct agency to people to see people as like the masters of their own soul right. feel that agency Yeah, and so it's um, so
0: it's these personal traits that actually influence their political beliefs yeah
1: and to also be more concerned about danger mm. and threat fear fear I mean well fear is like the you know it's like the emotional response on mm. the day but they seem to mm. be more acutely concerned about dangerous features or elements mm. like it sounds strange like I I'm not concerned about Islamic terrorism, um, but you know, in a in a in a meaningful sense, you know that it's going to affect who I vote for. Mm. But um, I think the people who are voting Trump are genuinely concerned about that like that is something that genuinely mm. fucks with their head even though statistically you know that you're more likely to die from a white nationalist yes. than a and then islamic fundamentalist but i'm um, still like that fear for them is real and it's mm. and it's like a very emotional response and one thing i think i've learned from seeing people on the left is this kind of a, a, a greater likelihood to to see people as part of systems people or communities which i both think as a lefty i think oh that's correct yeah increasingly i was like but this is an assumption that we fall into like increasingly there are some occasions where i think you can ascribe agency or some notion of subjectivity to certain people Mm. certain people's certain aspects Mm. and then the other thing is that i think that also as lefties another narrative is that we assume often like it sounds strange like assume the best of people or Mm. like have we maybe aren't as critical of the human condition of people's intentions rather Mm. as we could be
0: okay we need to take a second here because what mike is saying is immensely immensely important that we need to interpret and break down what he is saying is that what really informs people's political beliefs is not justifications that they've read or ideologies that they ascribe to. The reason that they ascribe to these ideologies or agree with these justifications in the first place is because of their own personality traits. So somebody who's more risk averse would find themselves on the right of the political spectrum. Where somebody who's more trusting of individuals will find themselves on the left of the political spectrum. So it's not really the academic principles that underpin certain political beliefs that you end up buying into that political belief. No, it's far more fundamental. It's far more unacademic. It actually becomes emotional where the only reason you're actually buying into the academics of a political belief is because it accords with a certain personality trait that you hold and what this means is that you actually have far less agency when it comes to choosing political beliefs than you think in fact you choosing a political belief, and I use choosing an inverted commas, is actually much less about a rational decision but far more about an emotional reaction, and an emotional buy-in, an emotional connection to that ideology. In effect their academic buy-in into a political ideology is grounded in something far more intangible and that is who they are, their, their characteristics. Okay, so let's jump back in with Mikey.
1: So that was the other huge lesson for me. It was like, it's emotional narratives, underlying stuff that then make people attracted to certain political belief structures. Mm.
0: So then what is some of the learning that you've taken from from this?
1: Ironically, the big learning for, from it is that it's made me more zen mm. and less reactive to the stuff that people post in general. Okay, Because I think when you consider... Um, that so, I mean, one of the things that was interesting is that for every eight or nine times I was seeing someone doing something that I thought was deplorable, mm. even if I thought they were doing something that was deplorable, one in one in ten times or two in ten times, i would be like, "I can actually kind of see where you're coming from. I don't agree with you, but I can mm. see where you're coming from." Mm. I mean, I said this to you earlier. I was really interesting that sometimes I take screen grabs of stuff and then read it a day or two later. And it's the same content, mm. but now that my mind's shifted, you know, gears a bit, and I'm thinking in a different context, and I've read different stuff, and I'm reading things in a different context. It's not now not nearly as offensive, and I'm not nearly having the same emotional response. I might still disagree with you, yes, but I'm not having this emotional reaction where I'm like, oh my god, this is deplorable. How could you possibly believe this?
0: Our conversation then moved on to the idea of context and the importance of context when we interpret people's posts, right? So, somebody will post something with a certain context that the reader doesn't have. And it is that lack of context which creates a lot of the misunderstandings and misinterpretations around certain posts. So, for example, that day, that morning, I had posted a post on Facebook. It was an image of Pikachu with the little speech bubble that said, No one in the world, no one in history has ever gotten their freedom by appealing to the moral sense of the people who were oppressing them. And the reason why I posted this was in relation to a lot of comments um, and posts that people on my Facebook page had been making around the fees must fall protests. You know, people saying, why does it have to be violent? Why do we always have to protest? Why do we have to strike? You know, can't we sit down and have a discussion? And for me, it was saying we never got any change in history or throughout history. There hasn't been a sense of change by appealing to the moral sensibilities of people. You know, we have to rise up and we have to fight this oppression. So that was the context in which I posted this little Pikachu meme. But if you think about it, no one else really, reading that post, knew the exact context from which I was posting it. It it was quite abstract, right? I mean, I knew the context, and you almost assume that everyone else will get the context when you're posting something, but not everyone is going to get the context, and that's when a lot of misinterpretation happens. Mike made a comment on that post to illustrate this point.
1: So now what's interesting is that like, so I've read that a hundred times before, I've posted similar things before. Yeah. And um, it's, in. so now with the context of what we're talking about is like students taking action, which I agree with. Yes. And then people criticizing the students, like, you know, total slacktivists being like, ah, these students must just study. And you're just like, yeah. Jesus, fuck these people in their yeah. faces, like they're yeah. the worst. So. On the one hand, I completely get the the context and I can make I can plug that in and make sense now what you're saying. But what is interesting is that I at the time wrote this offhand thing that was like, well, maybe not the gays. Yeah.
0: That was your comment on on the post.
1: Because, you know, like the gays, that's very much a story of like people who actually that's exactly what they did. Like they appealed to people's morality. It took thirty or forty years, but it was fundamentally about changing the morality of society. Mm. Now, on the one hand was there physical action? Yes, there was pride parades, there was Stonewall, there was people getting angry, mm. there were cops getting beat up, but it was it was never we. I mean, the gay movement always knew it was never going to be a rev- a violent revolution that was going to yep. change. It was always going to be about changing the morality mm. of the m- substance of the population to go mm. actually, gay is not a sin. Like, yeah, it's fine. It's actually fabulous. Yeah. So, um, so the gays is an example of that, mm. and then differently abled people or you know in mainstream language disabled people is an example of that yes Uh, the elderly rights to a degree once again women like women aren't gonna have a violent revolution that overthrows the state it's gonna be about a changing of morality of what our notions are and there
0: I am posting this with a very very specific context but still a very broad statement that might not necessarily apply to well I mean arguably I'm sure people
1: are gonna say that all those examples would fit within that And this raises two things. It's like one is like with regards to what you posted to the students, I completely Mm. agree with it. Yes. But now I get the background context in which you're posting that. Like if I was on Twitter and I was on the other side and I saw this come out of the middle of nowhere, I'd be like this guy only believes in violence. Right. He thinks that no social progress can happen without disruption and violence. Yes. The left have fantasies of violence. Right. You know, like proper progress comes from slow and hard work. Right. Yeah, you know what, my guy, it's like if some guy on the right, I mean, there's probably a ton of guys who fucking wrote that thing. Yeah. And the thing is now is like this little microcosm can kind of sum it up. It's like only because I get your context and the narrative that you have. Yes do i understand what you're getting at too Hmm. the phrase itself is broad enough that even two people on the same side of the same argument who have 90.9.9 percent of you know concluding i mean sorry agreeing political beliefs yeah could now argue about the the definition of this word and that word right what's direct action and all these things yes now once again let's not get it twisted I think that the internet is probably one of the best tools we have for communicating ideas, whole mm. bunches of ideas that could never have seen the light of day have now seen the light of day mm. and both for bad Trump and for good, something like maybe black lives matter mm. um and and it's kind of you could be listening to this, and you could flip those. you could think that Trump's the good side and Black Lives matter is the bad right. side and that's maybe the thing about digital communication is that it's it's a yin and yang thing. Mm. What I've learned from it is to detach emotionally from what Mm. I'm reading and to, um, it sounds strange, like both value what people are saying Mm. and also kind of see people within the delusion of communication that we think that we're communicating our words clearly. We think that people get our context. We think that we get what uh, people understand what we mean Mm. and they won't and it's difficult and yeah, it's been a good ride.
0: Okay, so Mikey, after a very... Intellectual session, what are some of the um, takeouts or, or practical
1: lessons that we can take from these learnings? So, for takeouts, I think that there's a hard do and a soft do. Let me start with the hard do.
0: Mm. I mean, everyone loves a hard do. Everyone loves
1: a like, hard do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the hard do is like, do break your echo chamber if you haven't done it before. Mm. but expect it to suck, like expect Mm. it to be a rather infuriating and difficult process. Like I say, most people post rhetoric, like, Mm. I think that you're going to find this, you're going to find it irritating, but do it. Mm. It will be an enlightening experience. Um, But here's the one little catch, don't do it for too long. And that's Mm. why this whole thing happened, is that I think it can also be emotionally destructive.
0: Right. Um, constantly being bombarded by you want to
1: break your echo chamber retro. by following a whole bunch of homophobes to really understand what homophobes are thinking it will definitely enlighten you it will also fucking crush you, crush you a little bit after a period of time mm. um, and then there's the soft do and I think the soft do is this is um, I think we need to approach our communications with people on the internet with a lot more empathy and flexibility and mm. um, we're working with so little when it comes to textual communication. We aren't experiencing these other people's context. We don't know mm. what they're reacting to or what they're referring to or what conversation that they're in when they post stuff. Yes. And two, we don't know what their narrative is. We don't right. know, we don't fully understand mm. what you know, like what it is that they may feel emotionally about the same facts that we do, that they feel authentically, but we just can't understand it because we don't have that personality and that therefore that political outlook. And um and there are wrong facts. I mean, or there are wrong arguments. Mm. Like, you will read a thousand homophobic arguments. Some of them may be very well written. Mm. And I'm now quite confident to say that they're all fucking wrong. Mm. Um, Malcolm Gladwell did this podcast about this concept called generous orthodoxy. Mm. You know, these two opposites, generous orthodox, in terms of ways of approaching things. And mm-hmm. how can I say this? It's kind of like a, an empathetic skepticism or a generous skepticism of okay. being like, you know what, I'm going to see what you're writing, I'm going to still be critical of it, yeah. but I'm going to try and remember that like, the person who's writing this is, is coming from such a different place to me, is coming on such a different foot, and that they believe they're right. And that for me to engage with them properly kind of means to like still argue, critical, engage, shout, whatever, but to also kind of just keep that in the back of your mind, that little bit of flexibility like this person is not in the same wavelength as me. And if we want any real communication to happen, and if I want to kind of feel okay and keep my sanity, mm. I need to realise these people aren't working with the same stuff as me. Mm. Um, we're kind of speaking in different languages and that stuff's gonna get lost in translation. It's, it's very much that pull and push at the same time. Like, mm. if someone's posting stuff that you really disagree with online, engage with them. Like, mm. you know, don't take it lying down. Mm. Argue. I mean ideas worth spreading ideas worth standing up for Mm. but also realize that like these people are just coming from a completely different world to you and Mm. kind of need to make these two worlds try and connect for a little bit Mm. otherwise it just becomes a screaming match Mm. and then once again be adventurous like in terms of like go out and do the hard work do the self-sacrificial work or whatever Mm. take the blows to the body of like breaking your echo chamber and then be kind to yourself and be like enough's enough like this is not fucking with my head like I'm out uh fish and pool. Mikey, thank you so much. Roiki, thank you, my boy. Until next time. Big love.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to the Bodies Podcast on iTunes or you can follow us on SoundCloud at Bodies Podcast. We also have a Facebook page um, called Bodies Podcast. Please feel free to like that and send us messages and engage. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Roy Gluckman. That's R-O-Y-G Luckman. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Bodies.